Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. Red Letter Christians gets our name from the Bibles that highlight the words of Jesus in red. And we're aspiring to live as if Jesus meant the stuff he said. We know that the loudest, most prominent voices representing Christianity in America haven't always been the most beautiful or the most faithful voices. And we know that the way we change the narrative is by changing the narrators. We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to justice. Well, hello, everybody. It is November. Hey, Jonathan, Dr. Shanique, we're good to see y'all. Good to see you. We're together in the flesh right here. Two people on one Zoom screen. (laughs) It's throwing me off. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, well, as people kind of, you know, come in here, we we usually have folks all over the world that are joining together at different times and different time zones. But uh, on the first day of the month for us, it's no uh, nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, it's the Feast of All Saints. So we're remembering all the great saints. And we'll hear more about that in just a second. But uh, uh, this is November. It, we think about living in community together and what it means to to nurture a common life each month we sort of have a different theme we think on so uh jonathan and dr shaniqua they're modeling that for us right now (laughs) and uh it's also we've created these you know beautiful images and this month is both uh the birth the birthday of dorothy day but also the day that she passed away and we remember her at the end of the month um just a few other kind of month at a glance things we we so it's all saints today tomorrow we remember uh the world gathering uh, the christian world gathering of indigenous peoples and this was a beginning of folks all over the country that were first nations indigenous folks that started gathering and sometimes you see some of these dates you may not be familiar with and it's because we had a group of about 30 or so folks helping us remember dates and Richard Twist was one of those he was part of that uh, those original gatherings of indigenous people uh so this month we remember a uh, bunch of different folks Martin DePoris Watchman Nee we uh, on the 9th of November in 89 1989 the Berlin Wall fell so we remember that on the 10th we were we remember a really tragic day in history, with which is known as uh, Kristallnacht, the Night of Glass. Uh, really, the escalation of violence against Jewish folks and others. Uh, and uh, twenty-five thousand uh, Jewish folks were sent to concentration camps after a night of of so much violence in 1938 from the Nazis. Uh, we remember veterans on what was originally called Armistice Day on the 11th. Uh, we honor Emmy and Eberhard Arnold, the founders of the Bruderhof, on the 22nd. And then we got Sojourner Truth on the 26th. So it's a great month. And we're glad that y'all could uh, join us for prayer. Or maybe some of y'all are watching the video or listening to the audio afterwards, which is wonderful. Uh, there's lots of different ways you can join. We've got the books. Some folks have it on a phone app. And you can also just go to commonprayer.net if you're looking for the the liturgy here i've got some of my uh since it's all saints john i've got my saint francis here and we, right. we were remembering our all those who have passed on to the other side i got my dr king with his uh, uh you, you know his, 
on my on my desk here, but uh, you're here in the Peace and Justice Institute at the St. Francis Prayer Center in uh, North Carolina. Shaniqua uh, and I are doing a writer's workshop here this week with the Collegeville Institute, but we're, we're right here um, with Oscar Romero on the wall. This, this room is dedicated to Oscar Romero, so we, we got some of the saints with us too. Yes, hallelujah. Uh, we usually just think about a few of the things on the horizon before we jump into prayer, and uh, I know on our end we've got um, some of us are meeting up at uh, the CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association. Uh, that annual gathering is happening this month in Charlotte, North Carolina. I think there's also ways you can join online. Um, I'll be with uh, Reverend Sharon Risher. We're doing a session there, and there's all kinds of other great folks. Uh, we're doing a faith forum this month on the science of joy. Dr. Schnickel, I was thinking of you with this because uh, – you know, it's hard to keep your joy alive, but there's there's this neuroscientist that's going to be joining us talking about what happens in your actual physical body and your brain with regards to joy. Oh, that's amazing. And he's also differentiating. Is I thought of you because differentiating between trauma and suffering. And yeah. he says you can have the exact same experience. Um, and what matters is who you have with you, if you feel loved and consoled and, um, uh, uh, you know, if you can feel the hope and joy in the middle of a really tough circumstance. And and it, it I didn't know this, it changed, it, it has a different impact physically on your brain and you can see what that looks like. So that's going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> so I think that's in a, about a week or so. Uh, this month we're, we, we've, we've been, we read uh, last month, uh, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, uh, wow. which Amy Kinney's book, Dr. Amy Kinney was just on fire. Lisa Sharon Harper did the conversation, but it was an amazing uh, book club. And uh, this month, I'm a little, I get, I'm a little embarrassed, but it's, it's we're doing Jesus for President, Chris and I's book, because it's election season. We just re-released like a new copy of it. Um, but y'all can join Chris Ha and I at the end of the month, um, not just to talk about the book, but, you know, how we weather this election season and keep our faith real and keep centered on Jesus, but also do not divorce ourselves from uh, the real crisis in our country right now. So hallelujah on that note time for some prayer and and we'll we'll uh pause for a real wonderful conversation with Dr. Shanika Walker Barnes so uh Jonathan you want to say anything else anything that y'all want people well, to know North about Carolina, too this month? here in North Carolina early voting has already started as it has in many places <laughs> so wherever you are pray with your ballot <laughs> pray with your ballot and what, what, anything else that people should know about going on, Dr. Shaniqua, or like in the month of November or when the next uh, uh, Mystic Writing Workshop is that they can sign up for? <laughs> well, there's a there's a, a nice uh, rhythm of writing workshops through the Collegeville Institute, which we would encourage people who are writers of all kinds to uh, to consider. But yeah, certainly look for the two of us if you're interested in writing, contemplation, how the two go together. Yeah. We're trying to figure it out. <laughs> I'll also say that um, this month um, is our birthdays as well. So we will both <laughs> be right. celebrating birthdays within the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> 
So lots of reasons to, to celebrate. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, uh, if you've found your way to the prayer, I've got mine here on the phone today because I didn't bring the book. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout for joy to the rock of our salvation. Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints go marching in. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. And this is from Psalm 8. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all of the world. Out of the mouths of infants and children, your majesty is praised above the heavens. You have set up a stronghold against your adversaries to quell the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have set in their courses, what is man that you should be mindful of them, the son of man that you should seek him out? You have made him but little lower than the angels. You adorn him with glory and honor. You give her mastery over the works of your hands. You pull, put all things under her feet. All sheep and oxen, even the wild beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever walks in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our governor, how exalted is your name in all the world. Our reading today for all saints is from the Revelation, chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east and having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And this, I, and after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom, and thanks, and honor, 
and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. 14th century mystic. Meister Eckhart said, Do not think that saintliness comes from occupation. It depends rather on what one is. The kind of work we do does not make us holy, but we make it holy. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. Well, this is the time in our liturgy where we pause for a little conversation every month. And we're so glad to get to talk to you this 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 month. We have with us Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes, um, a womanist theologian and a good friend, and the author of I Bring the Voices of My People. Mm. And um uh, so many things, but it, it's, it's a joy to have you here. It's good to be thanks, here. Thanks for yeah. being with us and praying together. Ooh, a lot going on in the world, Dr. Shaniqua. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Well, maybe we could we could start. You all have been doing life together, um, kind of with your vocations and gifts and friendship as you and Jonathan and many others. But, uh, you know, as we, we kind of start thinking about this month and in the sense of community and common life, and it feels like right now, part of what people need to know is that they're not alone um, and that we need solidarity. We need each other um, to keep our hope alive, to keep us believing that change is coming, you know, <laughs> what, what, talk a little bit about what that looks like for you, you know, where you're finding community um, and, 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 and how, how you sustain, you know, this work for the long term. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm at the point where I feel like a lot of the problems we're seeing, particularly in our nation have to do with isolation mm. and a lack of belonging right? We, we live in such a fractured world, um, I think. Um, and for me, I'm recognizing the ways in which my own relationships have been fractured um, for things that we consider good reasons, right? So it was leaving home to go to school mm-hmm. and then leaving again for a job and then leaving again for a job, right? Um, the ways in which, you know, geographic mobility and upward economic mobility um, has, has led to me in a lot of ways often um, eroding family relationships, friendships. Um, it's especially hard for me because as an introvert, it takes me a while to, to make new friends, right? And the older I get, I'm like, how do you make friends again? I don't understand this. Uh, <laughs> but I think, you know, that real sense of not knowing who we are and who our people are, mm. as um, especially as our camps become increasingly polarized, and our people have to be just like us, right? So we're always seeking for the church that's just like us, that's full of people that are just like us. Um, and churches certainly want people who are all, you know, that ho- homogenous unit principle, right? We want them all to be cut from the, the same cloth so that people are in churches even and not feeling like they belong there and not feeling that they can remain mm. 
as mm. someone who doesn't fit. So I think we have so much isolation and that's where these radicalization forces get in, right? We have seen this everywhere from Al Qaeda to the Proud Boys, right? They are capitalizing on people's lack of belonging mm-hmm. and feeling that there's no one there. And they said, we'll give you family. We'll make you belong, right? We'll give you a whole ideology to believe in. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, social media does it too. It gives us sometimes the the uh, the, the illusion. Um, and, and, and I will say, I have had some very wonderful relationships that have formed on social media, but sometimes it can give us the illusion of being more surrounded by community than we are. And we can forget we actually need people like presence (laughs) that there is something that happens when we gather physically together there's Mm. something that happens when we have physical contact Mm. there's something about being in the same space and um i don't think i don't think we talk about that enough Mm. Mm. yeah thank you i you know it makes me think while all of this is true and very important and we need to talk about how to make it real Another complicating factor is that a lot of people are in communities that are harmful. Yes. So, and I know you've been public about saying like, you know, there's some churches I ain't going to be part of. (laughs) So, yeah. How how do you make sense of this like need for community, but also need to be in communities where people are safe? Yeah. So there's a, um, there's a term called pseudo community, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Mm -hmm. Which is something that gives the appearance of community, but it's not really does it support the, the growth and thriving mm. of people in it. Rather, it wants to force people to conform mm-hmm. to a certain model. Right. You get to belong as long as you mm. conform. If you don't, you you know, you're, you're going to be met with hostility, mm. um, isolation um, and other forms of, of mistreatment and harm. Yeah. And so I think in a lot of places we have a lot of pseudo communities. We have a lot of churches that are pretending mm. to be community, but really they're not. Yeah. Right. They, that's deep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really what it is. So part of it is how do you find genuine community, um, community that has um, enough, I call it elasticity mm. to hold you mm. if you're mm. right to hold you mm-hmm. if um, based upon your your identity, but to hold you no matter where your your journey takes you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Communities that have that. Mm. Yeah, I was thinking about this weekend. Um, well, I was thinking about Dr. King's words, you know, you you called it pseudo community, but he also talked about kind of the counterfeit piece, you know, that yeah. that where it look, it's just the absence of tension, but it's not the presence of justice. And and we like that kind of kumbaya unity and community. And I was down in a uh, congregation speaking on Sunday and the pastor's a really large congregation. He said, uh, he said, the easiest thing to do is to build a church where everybody looks like you, eats like you and votes like you. And we're trying to do something different, you know, uh, that to reflect the diversity of God's kingdom. And it's hard, you know, but he was telling me that, you know, about an experience where someone in the church, um, met someone else who they were talking to about what it looks to live like in community together. And then they saw that they had a Confederate flag on their, their vehicle. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And this person's not white, you know, and and they're going, what is it? You know, there's gotta be those points. I'm thinking of people having Thanksgiving dinner this month together and things, you know, and arguments don't change people's mind very much, but it's, it's hard to know exactly how to engage and how much energy to put towards uh, trying to, 
to change someone's mind, especially when, I mean, that's pretty extreme, you know, trying to be, to take the same communion table as somebody has got a Confederate flag on their truck, you know, and, um, I don't know. I, I think I just probing a little bit more on Jonathan's question there of like, I mean, even in our own families, like, have you seen constructive ways of engaging each other when it feels like we're really, really divided? Yeah. <laughs> well, while you think about it, I'll tell a story. Yeah, tell a story. <laughs> Years ago, there was this fella who was staying at the Ruba house and um, uh, he was a, white brother who had been in the Marines and had been living in the woods for some time before he came to stay with us. And he mostly made money by making signs. He carved these wooden signs and he would stand outside football games and sell these signs. Well, another brother who lived with us at the time, uh, still a good friend. He's a neighbor. Um, he uh, was the 13th son of sharecroppers from South Carolina and uh, had a long history of having to deal with uh, white folks in the South. And so he came to me one day and he said, have you seen those signs he's got on the back porch? And I said, I haven't been back there in a while. He said, go look at them. But back there, there was a big Confederate engraved sign, you know, sitting right outside this guy's room. And so um, I said uh, to this guy, we called him Doc. I said, Doc, can you have breakfast with me tomorrow? <laughs> So we went out to breakfast and I said, uh, Doc, uh, Vern is the 13th son of sharecroppers from South Carolina. Have you ever thought about how it makes him feel if he walks out of his room and sees a Confederate flag? And Doc said, well, no, I never had thought of that. And I said, well, um, I, you know, tried to talk about it a little bit. And, um, you know, it was interesting mm. because uh, he, uh, of his own volition ended up going and apologizing to Vern and saying he didn't realize that. And uh, he got rid of the sign. Mm -hmm. So uh, some conversations can be fruitful. Yeah. Not to say that all are. Right. I'm yeah. in, I'm in long-term relationship with a lot of people who have not taken down their Confederate flags, including people I'm related to. So I understand it, you know, that it doesn't always change, but it's always worth a conversation. It seems to me. And maybe relationship and community aren't always the same thing, right? There, there are people that we yeah. have relationship with that we might not consider part of the community that, that nurtures us or that they may only nurture certain parts of us, right? Mm. Um, I've, I've had deep friendships with people that I have um, serious political and theological difference with. Um, and we can argue for hours. And at the end of arguing, um, there were no <laughs> further closer on on we haven't come any closer we still but we say you know what it's time to eat uh so let's go eat <laughs> and, and and we feed into each other's lives in other ways mm. right and and we have learned to let each other be okay with that mm. there are times though where we can't do that mm. there are times where that that difference is a point of harm to us so you know one thing about community is that communities have boundaries and, 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 and sometimes we have to set the boundaries about what is allowed in community and what is not. Mm -hmm. And maybe difference of opinion is, but disrespect for somebody else's humanity is not, right? Mm -hmm. We don't do things at least that we know will harm another person and be in community. So I think there's always that tension around community that is not necessarily that everybody belongs. Mm. Um, and I think we're at, we're really at a time where we have to recognize 
there's a large swath of the public that does not want community, that does not want justice, Mm -hmm. that does not want love, right? At least not with certain people, Mm -hmm. right? And I think sometimes we have to be willing to recognize that because that's a different type of work Mm -hmm. than someone who, Doc, who has a relationship with Vern, Mm -hmm. right? Who has these beliefs that he just really hasn't thought about in light of this relationship, Mm -hmm. but he's developed this relationship and, and, and wants to care for this person. And so is willing to change behavior because there's a relationship there. That's one approach. Mm -hmm. But then folks who would say, I don't care about Vern. Right. right. That's a, that's a whole, that's a wholly different thing. Yeah. And part of what we have to account for is that a whole lot of people are being lied to all the time. Yeah. There is a, a big business of mass producing lies. Yeah. And to the extent that people choose to, you know, believe those lies rather than people who they know or people who try to talk to them about it, um, there is a, a gap that's not going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on that side of things, just in a, from a realist perspective, I think we have to out-organize the lies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't mm-hmm. convince somebody who's caught up in the lies that they're wrong. You've got to organize something. That's why, you know, getting people to vote right now matters. Yeah. Because if, if, if there's not an organized way to try to build a movement mm-hmm. that preserves some space where we can at least have debate, yeah. then the lies take over. We mm. can... Give thanks to God. It looks like, you know, they were able to out-organize the lies in Brazil this weekend. Yeah. We pray we can out-organize them here in a few weeks. It's but but it's a it's a struggle. It is. And on, on that front, I think you've uh, uh you know, we'll just have to out-organize them until 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 we can get the lies to quiet down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, vote against the lies. Well, you know, Dr. Schnickel, I've been on this little uh journey when it comes to politics and voting. I, my, my roots are, as, as you know, a little bit, I think, and John knows pretty well, like I, the, of the Christian anarchistic uh, trend of, uh, you know, Leo Tolstoy and the great Dorothy Day and uh, uh, so many others. But I, I you know, I, I, I've it's from spending time with folks whose ancestors, you know, went to jail and died for these things that has, has really um, caused me to see a, 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 a a different piece of this, you know, and I still kind of think, you know, there's a lot of folks that are just tired of politics, you know, that are so disappointed with the the lack of progress on the even, you know, in a uh, on immigration or gun reform, whatever it is. And so um, they're just tired and, and they, they kind of disengage. And I still think of voting for me, it's it's helpful to think of harm reduction, <laughs> You know, that damage control that I'm not looking for a perfect candidate, but I'm trying to vote against the lies like John is like I was saying, you know, I'm trying to vote for the person I think might do the least amount of damage uh, in this situation. Um, But uh, some of that really, really does make a difference, too, because I think of like the gubernatorial races. And as much as I see, like, ah, is there really a big difference on the governors? Well, actually, in Pennsylvania, the governor single-handedly stopped executions. We still have the death penalty. You know, in Texas, I'm not a single-issue person, but you go, man, between, you know, Governor Abbott and, and Beto O'Rourke, like, the, like this is this is 
lives that, um, at least on the death penalty, that, I mean, it's half of our executions in the country. I mean, there's other issues, you know, and, but I, I think, I think harm reduction at least helps me feel a little bit more confident <laughs> when, when I'm engaging the politics. Yeah, these, I mean, elections matter. Last night, um, one of Atlanta's um, major hospitals, one of the two mm. level one trauma hospitals in Atlanta closed. Mm. Um, and it closed in large part due to funding. And the the governor, um, I like to call him the, you know, he's like the commander in thief since he stole the election. But um, Brian Kemp could have stopped that, right? Because mm. he could have expanded, he could have expanded Medicaid. It would have helped under, um, um, to help fund the hospital that was struggling because they were working with a primarily uninsured population. And it got to the point where they said, we just can't do it anymore. Um, and, and they closed. So now we have um, all of North Georgia has one level one trauma hospital. Mm. The, the, the hospitals are getting flooded. Anybody in Atlanta who needs to go to the ER right now is in for some, some, some trouble, mm. right? And it doesn't matter what your income is, but mm-hmm. you're, you're in for a world of hurt if you need to go to the ER. These little simple ways, right, that have profound consequences that often aren't on the forefront of our minds when we think about things like this. Um, polling changes, right? Our, our, you know, last time I voted, um, I was voting for Lucy McBath. And then all of a sudden, you know, elections roll around again. And I'm like, wait, what is going on? What is happening? What? Oh, my district got changed. My lines mm-hmm. got changed because they wanted to, you know, make it harder uh, for us to flip the state again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and these little ways in which, you know, our, our state legislature, Right. It's not even just the big elections. The big elections have a lot of impact, but down to who you put in your state legislature. Right. Determines then how those lines are drawn, which then determines things like the electoral count. Right. Mm -hmm. So for um, for us to recognize that it all it all matters deeply. And if it doesn't matter for us, we might be so privileged that it's not going to affect us that much. But. Who am I trying to vote on behalf of? Yeah. Right. The folks who are disenfranchised, the folks for whom these policies are going to make a world of difference. Those are the folks I want to go into the voting booth and think about. Bringing some fire this morning. Yes, it's it's a good word. Thinking of voting for not just the, the person that's running, but you're voting with and for immigrants and refugees. You're voting for uh, kids that don't have health care. You're voting for folks that are coming out of prison and and need options. We're voting for you. It's a good way. The widows and the orphans, right? Those those that are most vulnerable. What does it mean to stand in solidarity with them on election day and every other day? That's a good word. Jonathan, what were you going to say, bro? Well, I was just thinking about what you were saying earlier about how you know there's never a perfect candidate to vote for. And, you know, we're certainly never going to elect a savior but if you think about those folks who you know sacrifice so much think about that dallas county voter league that was organizing for the chance to vote you know in selma alabama long before john lewis came long before dr king or anybody else came over there you know decades they were organizing to get on the polls so they could vote and they didn't have nobody to vote for yeah they were trying to vote when they knew they still weren't gonna be able to elect it. <laughs> they were just trying to say we matter enough to have a voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> I might even write in somebody, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> the black person on the ballot in Alabama for 100 years, but they yeah. still organized to register to vote. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good reminder. And it's helpful, you know, even zooming out from the U.S. Of like when I was in, you know, South Africa, seeing what people went through there to just uh, be able to to not not just about your vote. Right. But about your personhood, about like being recognized that I I am a, a member of this society. Uh, so, um, yeah, I was thinking also about this study that I saw um I think it was called More in Common. You, I don't know if you saw that, uh, Shaniqua, but it was, uh, it was um, saying how messed up the views are of our political opponent. And it was almost parallel between folks on the left and the right when they're, they're what they think their conceptions are and how different they are from reality. Um, like how many Republicans are millionaires or how many Democrats um like cared about immigration reform or whatever. They went through all these different things and they just showed how like um, really out of touch we are with each other. And then, you know, it also, one of the things in that study said that not only do we think that our opponent is wrong, but we think they're evil and the world would be better without them. And these are people that are talking about half of our country, right? The other half, it should just be gone. Um, but then there was something interesting that, um, it said that the biggest the biggest change was when you have someone that you're in relationship with and that you have some respect for that disagrees with you. Like, and they're kind of challenging this idea that we're talking in silos. So are we able to engage with someone who sees things differently than us? And that was a common factor that changed like um, the, the hostility and the hatred for the other person. But um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think everybody's trying to wrap their hands, hands around how fragile our country is. I mean, it feels like we're, when you think like this country would be better off without the other people and we've got more guns than than human beings in this country. You know, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty volatile time. Right. Yeah. You know, I think there are limits to the power of relationship um, to heal and change people. And I think we're seeing that on a massive scale right now. Mm-hmm. I know so many, particularly um, of my my white students, um, to to witness the 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 grief that they experienced after the 2016 election, when they said, "I never thought my grandma would ever vote for that person. Hmm. I never thought my mom would ever actually do that." I ne- right, and and people were saying they are witnessing family members whom they love deeply um, be swayed by the lies, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And that they they feel unable to reach these folks who they love and who they think loves them, right? But there's a way in which their groups have learned how to capitalize on all these other issues, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think while relationship can do some things, you know, and I often say as the the um, descendant of enslaved people, enslaved women who took care of white children who grew up to enslave them. I know full well there are limits to the power of relationship. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always change people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to also think there are some, there are some other tactics we need um, because at this point we're looking at s- sort of this cultic programming that we're seeing happening on 
a national, maybe even international scale. And I think there are ways in which we need to think about that. When we think about organizing, we need to think about how do we how do we collectively organize and strategize how to help people release some of the delusional thinking that mm-hmm. they have been co-opted into, right? And, and that's not to say necessarily replace it with a sort of leftist framework, right? That's not what we are necessarily trying to do, but help people to think more critically about what the system they bought. Um, I think that's, I think we're talking about some cult level stuff, some deprogramming yeah. is, is what is needed. And deprogramming isn't just about relationship. Right. That takes a specific set of skills. um, And that's what we need to think about doing. Yeah, that's really deep. I think, you know, and Howard Thurman talks about that, too. Right. That you can be in relationship and proximity and people were in the middle of, you know, slavery. uh, But to have true, you know, equity and respect and, you know, uh, egalitarian relationships is, is something different. So. You know, on this deep programming issue at the School for Conversion this month, we released a new resource. Uh, if folks want to check it out, it's at schoolforconversion.org. But it's it's on uh, how uh, Christian nationalism has been used to target Christian communities yeah. for propaganda, yeah. essentially, right? So, yeah. so an intentional effort to use the language of faith, use, mm-hmm. you know, faith-wrapped products yeah. that... Uh, that that literally tell people lies. Uh, I mean, things that are verifiably untrue. But when they're presented in a way that they're connected to your faith, it's um, it, it it can be incredibly convincing. Especially if you know you're in a community where you kind of already default to certain assumptions, kind of along those lines of the polarization you were saying in that other study. You know, in those in those places, if you can get you know people to think that well, it's generally Christian to believe that you know. <laughs> not wearing a mask during a pandemic is a good idea. A lot of people will believe it. And that's not calling those people stupid. It's saying that, you know, there is a mass effort to lie to people. Uh, And and I think that, you know, that people with a lot of money are using Christian faith to do that ought to be of concern to every Christian community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I went, you know, I went to one of those churches in Tennessee. I I mean, I, I hesitate to even call it a church. I think it really did feel very cultish, uh, but Greg Locke's uh, uh, thing there in East Tennessee, and I, I, just call I, it his thing. I think that's yeah, it's called his thing. Um, but you know, talked to, and I, I and I wrote a reflection on it that John looked at that was about how this is sort of a Delta variant of Christian nationalism. It's got a resilience that the kind of religious right of the 1980s didn't have, an ability to hold things together that just are mind-boggling, right? That I'm a patriot, but I'm ready to kill the National Guard or anybody that comes after my rights, you know, like, and, and you know, the, the, I mean, one of those two for me was um, holding together Jesus with things that are unequivocally anti-Jesus, you know? Uh, I mean, they've even distorted Jesus to say, we've heard in, in the last few months, right, Dr. Shaniquist, folks say, say, well, if Jesus had an AR-15, this the story might have ended differently. And you're like, what in the world, right? And so it's even twisting Jesus. And Dr. Shaniquist, I want to ask you about this a little bit, because, you know, I mean, I'm going to use a big word, y'all, uh, you know, our hermeneutic, our lens for interpreting scripture and interpreting the world at red letter Christians is, is Jesus. 
I mean, we, we say that that's how we make sense of the um, everything and, and, you know, um, what defines how we, we think about all these different issues. And I want to, I want to invite you, Dr. Schnickel, as a womanist, you know, like uh, both how, how Jesus still is a center as it is in red letter Christians, but also I think what, uh, you know, how our hermeneutic can be enriched by also um, learning from the womanist tradition and other kind of liberation theologies that are out there. So uh, that's, I mean, we're going deep at nine o'clock yeah. in the morning, y'all. But, um, you know, I, I don't know if you have thoughts on that, because there are folks that are that would say that they love Jesus, the same Jesus that we're worshiping. And yet they're right there on January 6th, you know, uh, at the insurrection. And so. <laughs> yeah. You know, the question that womanists often ask is, is what Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus, um, because a lot of times we'll say, you know, well, it's Jesus, right? Mm. But but our interpretation of who Jesus is and what Jesus stands for vary widely, right? So for mm. some of us, it is the the Jesus who identifies with the oppressed, right? The 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 Jesus who who chose to enter the world as the son of a Jewish carpenter and an unwed teenage mother. Who were who were in exile, right? Like that's that's a, that's a certain type of Jesus, right? Um, versus a, a different Jesus, and you know, part of it is we've got we've got a lot of biblical illiteracy. Mm -hmm. So so what 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 these powerful folks have always been able to do is to twist Jesus into their image, right? So mm -hmm. you. You get um, what is it the 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 muscular Jesus right Jesus um, mean and wild right, right? you get buddy <laughs> Jesus you have so many variations of Jesus because many people quite frankly just haven't read scripture uh, and then there are a lot of people who have but when we come to this we come with our experience mm. so you know I think about um, Rick Warren and how many times it took him to to read the Bible before he realized there were all these verses about the poor. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. God cares about the poor. Meanwhile, he's been pastor saddleback for a couple of decades by then, right? And figures this out, right? Because we're coming with our own lens because scripture is so rich that mm -hmm. if we don't adopt a hermeneutic that says, what is God saying to the oppressed, mm. right? Um, whose side is God on? Um, then it becomes difficult. There's also the fact that scripture is messy. Mm. So you need a hermeneutic because sometimes I'm, you know, sometimes Jesus does some things. And I'm like, really? You know, I got questions. I got the, the things I say, you know, when I get to the pearly, I got, I, can I have a sit down and have an interview? I, mm -hmm. I still have some questions. Some things ain't making sense to me, God. It sure seems like he was rude to that Syrophoenician woman. Right. That seemed rude. Right. That was rude. Right. So, <laughs> so I think for us to, 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 embrace scripture. So, you know, woman is, we have what we often say, a hermeneutic of suspicion. We want to know whose interest does this serve? Hmm. Whose story is being included and centered and who's not, um, who's at the, the bottom of the story, right? Hmm. Who's being oppressed by, by this story. And, and, and we believe that we can talk back to scripture yeah. because we believe we're in constant dialogue with the divine, right? That God didn't stop speaking, mm. you know, in revelation, but God is still speaking in and through black women, mm -hmm. right? 
everyone, but for us in particular, we're saying, how am I experiencing, how am I experiencing God? Um, Post-colonial scholars Mm. are asking the question, what might have Christianity looked like in Africa if it weren't handed to us at the hands of our oppressors, mm-hmm. right? And, and being willing to do that sort of digging. What's the inheritance that we have gotten that has come out of colonization and imperialism? We have to be willing to wrestle yeah. with the determine the ways in which, you know, we've got a colonized Jesus that we're worshiping. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's hard work. It, and, and it gets back to community. <laughs> I think that that type of work can be done best in community, Mm. um, but it has to be um, communities where people are really willing to ask those questions. I think in open, Mm. curious and faithful ways. Right. Mm. Yes. Such a good word. Yeah. You know, even even in the last few years, you know, in the Trump era, I should say, by the way, that Red Letter Christians is not partisan. We're a 501c3 organization. We don't endorse uh, candidates, you know, uh, but we do call out the principalities and powers. And those were unleashed over the last few years. And and yet, you know, you know, a lot of folks focused on like 80 percent of white evangelicals that supported Trump. But what we miss is that there was a conscience in this country. And it, 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 African-American women, like 80 percent, were this constant force against not just Trump, but all the rhetoric and policies that were so overtly hurtful and racist uh, and taking us back rather than forward. And and so that that conscious, I mean, and so when, you know, I think about healthy communities, one of the questions might be, where is that uh what is the place of African-American women and uh, in your community? How many books on our shelves are we listening to the voices that have that right now in our country have shown themselves to be a real consistent voice of conscience? Um, so anyway, I'll never forget, I'll, yeah. dear sister, let me call her name here on All Saints Day, dear sister Mary Ann Black. She was my representative in the state house. I met with her right after the 2016 election. She had uh, four words to say, her four words. Black woman grew up in South Carolina, you know, through, through all that we've been talking about. She said, I ain't going back. Mm. That was it. Mm. I ain't yeah. going back. Mm. And I think that commitment to struggle. Yeah. That commitment, when you talk about the hermeneutic, that commitment to struggle is a sign of a healthy community and a healthy faith. Yeah. You know, we have a complicated tradition. We have a complicated text. But to believe it is to commit to struggle with it. I prayed with these sisters once mm-hmm. in Minnesota, many of them quite old, older uh, sisters who have been praying the Psalms, you know, every morning of their lives for 50, 60 years. <laughs> we were walking out of prayer. I was behind this woman in her 90s, kind of shuffling along. We're walking out of prayer, and she said, I hate that damn psalm. <laughs> <laughs> No, this sister's still struggling with it. She's yeah. struggling with it every morning. That's a real faith. <laughs> so good yeah. to struggle together this morning. In it is good. Well, Dr. Shanique, in our last few minutes, as we uh, we'll, we'll circle back to closing prayer and song. But uh, what's on the horizon? Anything that that folks should know about uh, that you're thinking or writing right now? And you got a new book. 
how can folks follow you on the socials, all that stuff? Because the more Dr. Shaniqua we have in our lives, the better off we are. Yeah. Thank you. I have a new book coming out next year, probably not to the fall, um, called Sacred Mm -hmm. Self-Care. So folks who followed me online know that for the past couple of years, I've done at Lent a study on self-care. This came out of, again, emerging out of my own experience. And um, but especially in the p- pandemic thinking, you know, wh- what else do we need to give up? Right? <laughs> we've given up so many things. We've lost so many things and that it seemed a time for taking on mm. practices of, of self-care. I didn't grow up with the Lenten tradition. So I've always been um, when I first encountered it in seminary. I was probably suspicious and was like, what are you doing that for? And what's the point of that? And so for me, it's always been about drawing closer to mm-hmm. Christ. And so it's practices that help me do that. And mm-hmm. so um, this book, I say, is a theology of self-care written in a devotional format. Mm-hmm. It breaks it down into these daily lessons that have these practices that hopefully help us to learn um First of all, who we are, right? Because um, self-care has to be grounded in a good idea of who we are mm-hmm. as created in, in the image of God and who God desires us to be and what it means to nurture the selves, the, the, mm. the you know, God's creation mm. um, that is our lives. So, yeah, I'm excited uh, uh, about that. And um, I'm, I'm still on the socials. I haven't given up on Twitter yet. Um, we'll see what happens. Uh, <laughs> but once again, um, you know, Black people have always operated in spaces and made use out of spaces that weren't meant for us. So we'll see the ways in there which we go. continue to creatively resist and try to appropriate this um, this platform. Uh, <laughs> well, I think we and I think you just gave us our next uh, book club book of the month for next November. So we'll we'll look forward to celebrating that with you. And it's always a gift to be together and team up. So we'll we'll keep in touch and Jonathan, you want to close us out brother yeah, it's been a gift yeah let's close with a blessing here lord your saints come from every nation and every tribe such is the beauty of your kingdom where every race and people are honored and recognized as being made in your image help us live lives of peace and reconciliation that pay homage to the diversity of your great cloud of witnesses amen amen May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. 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 Thank y'all for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Red Letter Christians podcast. Too often, Christians have used our faith as a ticket into heaven and a license to ignore the world we live in. But at Red Letter Christians, we believe our faith is not just about going to heaven when we die, but also about bringing heaven to earth while we live. For more information on Red Letter Christians and upcoming events, additional resources, you can go to the show notes or our website, redletterchristians.org. You can also support Red Letter Christians by giving a one-time donation or becoming a monthly sustainer. Just go to our website and click the red donate button. Thank you for being a part of this conversation and for being a part of this movement.